Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your struggling child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavior analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org and follow them on Twitter at youdiscovering. We are very proud to have Mayor Johnson as our sponsor. Mayor Johnson is the world's special education super source. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. They have incredible drastic savings on hundreds of products. So go to MayorJohnson.com. That's Mayor-Johnson.com. Follow them on Twitter at Mayor Johnson and visit them today. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. We provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs and child-adolescent mental health communities. Thank you for joining us tonight, and now, on to the interview. Good evening, and welcome to the Bright Not Broken show on the Coffee Clatch Network. We are so excited to have you with us here this evening. We've got a very exciting show lined up for you. I am one of your hosts, Diane Kennedy, um, one of the authors of Bright Not Broken, and we are here to talk about tonight a subject that is very near and dear to our hearts. It is part of our mission as well and our passion that we share with these um, fine individuals who are going to be having on the show tonight, as well as the organization that they represent. We're talking tonight about missing the giftedness in children diagnosed with ADHD, autism, and related disorders. Uh, SANG, if you're unfamiliar with that organization, is the Supporting the Emotional Needs of the Gifted. And three of their experts are with us this evening. That is Dr. Marianne Kajunis. Um, okay, Marianne, help me say your name. <laughs> Kuzajonikus. Thank you so much, Dr. James Webb. Thank you, James, for having a simple name for us tonight. You're welcome. I have one who struggles with language. And Dr. Rosina Gallagher, we are so excited to have you join us tonight. We're going to be talking about um, their misdiagnosis initiative. It is a wonderful, wonderful initiative that is designed to help spread awareness and education of the misdiagnosis that happens so often with the gifted, um, twice-exceptional ADHD and autism are uh, common disabilities that are in this mix of misdiagnosis. And uh, this initiative is designed to help educate parents and healthcare professionals on the risk of misdiagnosis and how to avoid them. The project centers on the importance of understanding giftedness first and how these traits can be confused with or accompany traits of disabilities 
that result in twice exceptionality. So whether you have a child affected, you are a professional in the field, or you would just like to better understand what it truly means to be twice exceptional, this is the show for you. So I'm first and foremost going to welcome my uh, guests, Dr. James Webb, Dr. Mary Ann, <laughs> and um, Dr. Rosina Gallagher. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Well, we would like to start out um tonight and and ask you Marianne since you are one of the um one of the individuals who've been spearheading this initiative I know Dr. Francis has been on the show Alan Francis and spoke about um his support of your initiative if you could would you explain for us what the uh initiative is the misdiagnosis mm-hmm. initiative how you all came together and what your goals are Okay well I think I I, I was actually talking to Dr. Webb not too long ago. I came, uh, we were talking about how long have we been working on all this? How long have we been discussing these issues of misdiagnosis with our initiative? And and I went through my emails and I found it is back in spring of 2009. So we've been in communication since that time. At that time, uh, Dr. Gallagher was the president of the SANG board, and um, I had actually contacted um Dr. Webb, um, after I, you had given a um, another um, uh, seminar or se- you know, type of se- online seminar uh, on the, this topic, and I contacted you, and, and we just started talking, and this has been a topic of great interest of both Dr. Gallagher and Dr. Webb, and we just kind of came together organically in terms of what we want to do. We, we started talking about ideas of surveys, talking about brochures even at that time, and just increasing medical awareness. Um, at that time, I, again, my background is as a pediatrician, and I homeschool my profoundly gifted child, and I'm, I was going through that all-too-common experience that many parents of gifted children go through when you have challenging behaviors associated with unchallenging classrooms and the fact that, that those two just don't fit together uh, well. So I brought my child home to homeschool at that time, and I didn't have the tools I needed to, from the pediatrician side to know how to deal with that properly, but I, I could see that we needed to bring in the medical field to understand this more, and that's where I learned about the misdiagnosis and dual diagnosis of gifted children and adults book from Dr. Webb. So when I started talking to him, we started talking about maybe doing something more active, and that's where the same misdiagnosis initiative began. Uh, With this initiative, um, our ultimate goal is obviously to see that medical schools, residency training programs, and even post-residency coursework would routinely incorporate giftedness as well as even twice exceptionality into their medical curriculum. Currently, that's a rarity. Um, the, me- uh, the medical profession doesn't re- uh, have many articles in their medical professional uh, journals about giftedness, and they have very few opportunities to learn about this topic that's so important to these kids. So that's where we began, that's where we are now, and we've done um, some exciting things in, in the interim. So, Dr. Gallagher and Dr. Webb. Well, uh, oh, go ahead. It it also not just the medical profession, but the psychology profession and school psychologists receive extraordinarily little training. And this is where the misdiagnosis and the missing of the dual diagnoses, which really is a misdiagnosis, comes into play. That. Children who, are, to use Dr. Kuchijanikas' term, are challenging 
children. They're different. They have unusual behaviors, uh, sometimes quirky behaviors, and they are seen by a healthcare professional or a counseling professional. And those professionals try to make sense out of these behaviors by fitting them into some kind of diagnostic category. Uh, but it, it doesn't fit. But yet the kids end up being misdiagnosed and often mistreated in the sense of being put on medications they don't need or receiving inappropriate uh, therapy and the like. <clears throat> I'd like to back, uh, uh, back up what you said, Jim, regarding uh, the lack of training that school psychologists received on giftedness. And I'd like to quote maybe just some findings from um, a survey that was conducted by uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen Piper, who's also uh, has been or is on the um, advisor committee, is he not? Yes, the same professional advisor committee, Dr. Stephen Piper. Right. And uh, he and some of his graduate students conducted a uh, survey and found that um, 66% of the school psychologists uh, never or rarely evaluate for giftedness in the schools. 46% are never or rarely consult with teachers about the needs of gifted students. And uh, 94% of um, the students, when they're getting their graduate Training, they they have no no training on giftedness whatsoever, so those are alarming statistics in terms of uh, the profession for school psychologists. Absolutely, and, they are. And, and I, I think should it, have mentioned. It, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that Rosina. Aside from being the past president of Sang, and I meant to mention, I meant uh, to have mentioned this. She is also a licensed school psychologist. Is that right? Yes, yes, and um, okay. currently uh, work with the Illinois Association for Gifted Children. We are using uh, what we call online training to train not only teachers but also counselors and school psychologists as part of the professional team of uh, in the special education field. Uh, however, I think um, one of the questions that you asked uh, earlier was regarding what are some of the the traits or the attributes that um, gifted children display. And I think what I like to, um, I like the idea of summarizing the statements by just saying that gifted children uh, perceive, feel, think, and behave with intensity. Now, that says a mouthful in terms of the specific uh, characteristics, and both uh, Marianne and, and Jim, you can jump in. But one of the um, the uh, uh, characteristics is they, that uh, they have um, a high capacity for understanding concepts. So they learn quickly, and um, this can tend to uh, sometimes be a uh, detractor because if they they can become impatient, not only with peers or adults who do not catch things as quickly as they do, but um, with themselves. Very yeah. much so. 
and understanding the concepts to build on what Dr. Gallagher was saying, the, the concepts aren't always verbal concepts. They could be, for example, mechanical concepts, uh, which then begins to get into an issue that is so central, I think, to this discussion, and that's the concept of asynchronous development. That is, often people will say, well, gifted, what do you mean by gifted? That's they're rare, the upper three percent, or, and actually no, it's more likely the upper ten percent, because those children whom we call gifted are not necessarily equally gifted in all areas. Sometimes you have a child who's very gifted verbally, but much less gifted spatially or mathematically, or you may have the reverse. Which then, and, and actually you have kids who are both gifted and learning disabled, or they have other kinds of exceptionalities. For example, they may be gifted but have cerebral palsy. Now, the interesting aspect of this, and, and bothersome, is that if they have what's called a dis disability, it's usually the disability that's focused on by the schools or by the physicians or the psychologists, and the, the giftedness tends to get ignored. That's going to be a central part, then, of the issue of misdiagnosis and dual diagnosis. Yes, and in conjunction with what you're saying, Jim, another characteristic would be that they have a high energy level. Yes. Uh, from beginning uh, infants, um, yes. they can be characterized as not really sleeping as much as uh, typical uh, infants. And um, Mary well, not not all. Uh, maybe twenty about twenty percent need significantly less sleep. Interestingly, twenty percent need to need seem to need significantly more sleep. But whether they need less or more sleep, they do sleep more intensely, which is interesting. They're more soundly asleep, more difficult to wake, and their dreams tend to be more vivid. And um, uh, sometimes they have night terrors, even. I if I can jump in here for one second, I'm I'm enjoying this myself so much, and I'm so glad that you brought up the sleep issue. And I could tell you, <laughs> I, I was thinking as you were quoting the statistics, of three gifted, twice exceptional sons, my sons have all been diagnosed with some form of disability and also all have um, scored in the gifted range. And mm -hmm. I, you're exactly right. I've had extreme sleep issues with two of them, but one of them, absolutely none. That was the safest, most sound thing about him, so we have to be careful not to generalize about that. But yes. I love what you were describing about the different qualities, too, because the two who have sleep issues, even to this day, <laughs> in all of their successes, one of them just turned 30 and is, has a very successful career, um, still sleep is a, is a problem. And he has learned to keep his diet and exercise and things more intact. Um, I think that's helped him through the years, as well as my younger one, who also has those issues. They have recognized them to compensate, but um, but they have differences, and that is important yeah, to point very out. Very much so. And An interesting thing also that people listening might find uh, helpful is the research indicates there's a higher incidence of sleepwalking among gifted and bedwetting amongst gifted boys. Um, hey, <laughs> uh, Jim, I, I was sonambula 
when I was a little, uh, I think, seven years old. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) There are some other characteristics that just seem to suggest that these kids are born wired differently. For example, parents tell us so often how, how many of them have to cut the tags out of the back of their shirts. Or, and this goes along with what Rosina was saying about the intensity and the sensitivity, how they're overreactive to to stimuli, to sounds, to lights, to smells, to textures. And as a result, they, they show behaviors that, that are a little bit quirky. They're just different than other kids and quite puzzling to many many adults. And it almost makes you wonder if, if there's not some metabolic difference going on for so many of these kids. Yes, and they, again, going on on the issue of the oversensitivity, they're they're very emotionally oversensitive in terms of yes. like many of them, um, the children when they're when they're reading, you have to be so cautious in terms of what books they can have when they're young because yes. some of the books affect them deeply, whereas their their age peers in their classrooms may not have any difficulty at all, but they become so emotionally involved with the characters in the story that. Um, I find even for my own child, I have to do a lot of pre-reading to make sure is this going to be a book that my child can handle. Now he's a teenager, of course, but um, when he was younger, there was a, I had to do a lot of pre-reading to make sure there wasn't something that's going to traumatize him for a period of time. Um, and um, you mentioned also, Dr. Webb, about um, the issue of giftedness being overlooked frequently in the school systems yes. in, in terms of pathology. And and that's because, again, only 32 states are mandated to identify giftedness, and fewer than 32 states even su- have any funding to support these gifted children. Mm. Um, so when, you, when you're looking at issues of pathology or, you know, any kind of disability, there's there, there tends to be more funding in that area. And, and that's the unfortunate thing, that the giftedness kind of gets swept under the rug at many times in a lot of these kids, particularly the twice exceptional. May and I so parents... So May parents then turn to um, turn to professionals, uh, yes. pediatricians or uh, nurse practitioners or psychologists to try to find some information. But as Dr. Kusajanika said at the outset, so few receive any training about this, and the professionals that parents should be able to rely upon, they can't necessarily rely upon for information about giftedness so far, but that's what the Sang Misdiagnosis Initiative is trying to correct. Right. And and, and it's particularly important with, you know, having medical professional awareness of giftedness because there have been, you know, a number of parents and there have been some studies showing that parents of gifted kids, uh, a majority of them, sometimes upwards of three-quarters of parents of gifted children, recognize that their child is gifted and atypical from their age peers, even in the toddler years. And so, that time, you know, it, it, there's like a, a period of time the kids aren't seen in the school until they're five. So we have a time where we can start working with these mm-hmm. children because these children can start developing their own internal, you know, negative emotions, whether it's you know depression or feelings of isolation. When mm-hmm. they start recognizing that difference in themselves, even before they enter a school system. So and can I, I to, if go I ahead? May, I'd like to uh, quote another statistic in terms oh. of. Uh, the lack of training, but 60% of teachers in the regular education classroom or or program 
do not have any training on how to deal with advanced learners, whether it is academically, let alone uh, how to meet their social and emotional needs. That um, that's just staggering. That that really is, and it's something that um, if we can continue to increase these awareness efforts, because both of these two sides, if you will, the medical side and the educational side, are the two sides that um, sort of surround the child from the beginning, as you pointed out, Marianne, as well as um, these are the places where parents go for help. And I I wanted to state that you know, for me on this journey, which is what led us to the whole Twice Exceptional movement, we, of course, first we were authors of the ADHD Autism Connection because we were stuck in the misdiagnosis of ADHD is, is where I really was stuck to start with. And the interesting thing is that, you know, the very first person that I took my son to, of course, for issues aside from his health, was his pediatrician to say his behavior is unusual. And to his credit, he told me that his he attributed his behavior to his extremely high IQ. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, this is typical, it's typical of untypical, <laughs> it, it's, um, it's asynchronous, as you pointed out. And... But unfortunately, and I had a very, very good pediatrician who was willing to listen and to help him in any way he could, but he didn't have any resources available to him. You know, the only place he had was to work with a psychologist who, of course, was going to snag on to the end of it where the behavior was starting to emerge, about four or five years old. And um, I, I look at that and I think of that example of, how much more effective could that pediatrician have been, not just for my son, but all of the children that he that he comes into contact with by having the information available? I think exactly. it's so smart what you're doing. It's just well, thank wonderful. you. And this you. this is reaching out to the pediatricians, and I have to really credit Dr. Kusijanikos for this. The she reached out to the American Academy of Pediatrics when they lowered the diagnostic age for ADHD. And quite frankly, I thought the American Academy of Pediatrics would not be very responsive, but they were. And they got back to us and said, this is interesting. Let's begin to talk. And so we are now in a dialogue with them and also are trying to make available materials to pediatricians as well as to parents Everything from books to free downloadable articles that parents and pediatricians and psychologists can have. And Dr. Kutsujanikas and Dr. Gallagher both took the primary leads on producing a trifold brochure that's available from SANG that parents can give to physicians or psychologists about gifted children and the issues of misdiagnosis and dual diagnoses, and also free bookmarks that they can put in their office that list uh, nonprofit groups that give you information on one side. On the other side, a list of of, uh, over a dozen books that are particularly relevant for parents. And including including Bright Not Broken, absolutely, yes. 
Uh, yes, I think that's part of our, uh, yes. the, uh, the 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 bookmark. But uh, you know, just to mention, I recently was babysitting my our granddaughter who is 18 months old, and I had to take her for a. Uh, she's going to be traveling, so she needed a, a vaccination, and. Um, just just for the sake of asking, I took her to the pediatrician, and the nurse was there. And so I asked, do you have any information on giftedness? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, I don't believe we're using that term anymore. Uh, at least I was taught that's, uh, that's no longer used. And I said, oh, well, but she said, you know, let's ask Dr. So-and-so, the pediatrician. And he looked and says, giftedness. No, we don't have any information on that. That's and right. this is just mm. a week ago. I was That's bad. Well, well, I, I think we, we as part of our survey, we have a lot of data we're still going through. But one thing that I have reported uh, in the past is that it's astoun- astonishing. Um, three quarters of parents felt that they needed to have you know some sort of print materials, of, you know, available to them, you know, in, that were useful to them for learning how to support their gifted children. In doctors' offices, only about 6% even mention resources and barely 2% even have a resource in their office. Um, and that resource could be a book or a name of a website or whatnot. Um, it's, there's a huge dichotomy between what parents need and what actually is occurring in a medical office right now. And this, this, is, this is an opportunity that's you know, ripe for people to you know, help increase this education and awareness. And it's it's... I mean, it's it's very important. And we need to add that over at Sang, we mm-hmm. are committed to uh, to diversity. So one of the things that I have had the pleasure of contributing is to translate some of these materials oh. in Spanish. Oh, it's been because, wonderful. Because, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, we have translated other materials into Chinese and uh, what's the other... Uh, Chinese, Spanish, and, and English so far. But yes. uh, certainly our Hispanic community is very much um, respects educators and pediatricians. So um, they really look up to them for information and, uh, uh, and, and help and support. So they really need to have material that is available and accessible to them. And people can get access to this information if they simply Google or do an Internet search for SANG Misdiagnosis Initiative, S-E-N-G Misdiagnosis Initiative. And they can go to the uh, um, SANG website itself, which is uh, www.sengifted.org. Exactly, one, one, one G, and you, it's under the programs, and if you just click on programs and you can go right to the Sang Misdiagnosis Initiative. In there, we have uh, videos. We have a the Sang Misdiagnosis video, which has been extremely popular. Um, we've added uh, do, uh, Dr. Webb's remarkable um, grand rounds. He gave a grand rounds at the, um, the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine, um, and the entire video of that grand rounds is available to view on that Sang Misdiagnosis Initiative. Webpage. We have articles there, and we have, um, in addition to the brochures that you can download, and you can also order the free brochures and bookmarks uh, through that website as well. Uh, they, again, the materials have been very popular. Um, 
we also have, in addition, if, you, if, you, if they look through there, there's a wonderful uh, report called the Task Force of 1985. That was a uh, a um, a work of a combined work of people, including Dr. Webb, was on there. There was there were pediatricians, there were psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, working together to develop a task force report to see how um, the gifted child can be supported by the medical professions. Uh, what could medical professions do to help increase the support? It's a remarkable uh, task force report that I think um, would be very useful for parents to perhaps even share with their medical professionals, uh, the medical professionals to read themselves, um, and perhaps we can, you know, try to make a difference to support these kids. All of these resources are particularly important to try and overcome the prevailing myth that still you run into all the time, the myth being, oh, they're bright, they'll make it on their own. Oh, Against right. the child, what's the problem? <laughs> and this points out that, yes, some gifted children will make it on their own, but a lot will not, and there are a lot of other complicating issues, and particularly the twice exceptional, the dual diagnosis, where eh, for so many of these these gifted twice exceptional children, they need uh, tailor-made educational programs. You can't just put them in a gifted program. That this child with asynchronous development may need uh, a complicated mix, for example, perhaps whole grade skip combined with single subject acceleration combined with special uh, programs within the classroom and combined with remedial tutoring. Wow, that's more than most schools can it can accommodate without very special efforts, and it often takes a healthcare professional's support to get a school to be willing to try that yes. exceptional sort of educational approach. Yes. And I can I add? Can I add real quick to that? I I want to say, and I'm so glad that you pointed out, Dr. Webb, that um, people tend to think they're bright; they'll make it. And that in itself is is so sad. It's almost criminal because yes. to have someone who may have an exceptional gift or talent in a certain way to take a Temple Grandin, if you will, and to think, oh, yes. you know, just to get Temple to be able to function, yes, that's important to her quality of life, but Temple is ultimately fulfilled by what she has been able to do with her gift and without recognizing that and helping her reach her maximum potential. And that's, I think, what we're all talking about, that we've got to not take the assumption that just, you know, that these kids, well, if we can't give them the help they need, they'll at least use their brightness to survive or to get by. And that really, in in turn, all, as we pointed out in Bright Not Broken, all of society suffers. Correct. Mm -hmm. And Diane, I want to also point out too that um, we sometimes think of you know twice exceptional students in kind of fitting one category, but in fact there's there's uh, there's three main categories of twice exceptional, and those you know those that are identified as gifted and those at the same time are identified as having some sort of whether learning disability or other other disability, and then there's those kids who are who have an identified learning disability, but 
are never recognized for giftedness. And then there's that category that just try to get by who are not identified for giftedness nor are they identified for their learning disability. And they kind of go under the radar for their entire educational process. And right. neither neither need is supported. Um, it's it, you know, it, it's hard for all, you know, every, every one of those categories requires different, you know, attention to what their needs are and different recognitions. And it, it is sometimes overwhelming for schools to be able to to both identify and support all these children. But I, it's a need I that needs currently, to be done. Excuse me. I am currently working with a family of a 10th um, grader mm-hmm. who has uh, adrenal fatigue, uh, has been diagnosed yes. with adrenal fatigue. Yes. And um, it's so important for parents to realize that it's really the the uh, families, the educators, and the professionals really need to work together. To give you an example of this 10th grader who is very bright mathematically, but has uh, he tires easily and is very anxious. He tends to be perfectionistic. And so in his work, he's not able to finish um, projects at the, uh, uh, that, that show what his potential is. Uh, so anything that has to do with writing is uh, really uh, taxing on him. However, the, uh, with the school working together with the parents, uh, and parents who are very firm, once they become, um, uh, they become aware that they can be uh, have a, an impact in the school, they they can really uh, become part of the diagnostic team. But uh, initially, the school was uh, envisioning this, uh, recommending this tenth uh, grader to for a therapeutic school at the rate of what is it forty five thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. oh, and working together as problem solvers they came up with a very uh, individual plan whereby uh, this youngster is taking um, advanced calculus as a 10th grader okay. he he's taking latin and he can have uh, a music program um, and also participate in theater and at the same time have the support of the school to provide some specialized tutoring and coaching because of his perfectionistic tendencies. And um, he opted to stay in the high school because he has built a uh, community of friends. He feels supported, and even though he needs the coaching and the medical interventions, uh, this is a wonderful example of how this... uh, uh, the school team is really coming up with something that is unusual. Uh, it would have been much easier to send him off to a therapeutic school, but they wouldn't have been able to meet his no. advanced uh, talent in, in math. Not at all. Not at all. That's a wonderful story. So it was more of an individualized um, program coming together by the school that really ultimately benefited Yes, but not not by themselves. They had to have the persistent, knowledgeable parents to to uh, to advocate for the needs right. and make suggestions at the IEP meeting so that his needs, medical needs, his uh, emotion, social emotional needs were met. And uh, it's really um, a, a wonderful. Uh, uh, thing to see versus the old model of saying, well, you know, he has this uh, 
very specific uh, social emotional needs. He's anxious. Uh, let's just turn him over to a um, a, uh, a therapeutic school that it was not equipped really or understand uh, how to deal with very bright a very bright youngster. That is a wonderful story. And, you know, before we move on from the resources we talked about, I wanted to point out in in the brochure, the one that, that you said is available in um, to both parent groups and professionals, am I correct? Correct. Um, I'll tell you something that has really we talk about it a lot when we speak and and we've we've given out lots of your brochures as well and the thing that everyone seems to really comment on that's just wonderful is there's a chart inside of the brochure that compares the clinical trait, the the characteristics, the behavior that's going on with a possible gifted explanation and also the possible medical diagnosis. Right. And I noticed that so many of these, probably um, the highest number are attributed from a medical misdiagnosis to ADHD because there's so many that are misunderstood. And, of course, in the school system as well, we could say, uh, I'm sure, I don't have exact statistics in front of me, I know we've quoted some in our book as well, but that ADHD seems to be the most commonly diagnosed and the most commonly referred for behavior uh, issues. And so I wanted, if you would, to just speak if you can, um, about how important it is to communicate with those people, whether it's educators or um, psychologists, uh, pediatricians diagnosing ADHD, how important it is that we get the giftedness understood, especially when there's a tendency to just medicate these characteristics without understanding. Um, Oh, yes. This builds right out of what Dr. Gallagher was saying earlier about the intensity of these these kids, that they are intense. And we also know that for most gifted children in the regular classroom, from one-fourth to one-half of the regular classroom time is spent waiting for others to catch up. Uh, not surprisingly, they engage in off-task behaviors, at least off the teacher's task, what the teacher wants them to do, and their minds wander and they fidget and they may fiddle with their hair. And uh, so they they find themselves not particularly excited about the um, what's going on in the classroom. And as a result, they end up getting uh, referred to a pediatrician or a psychologist for evaluation for ADHD. The parents are typically given behavioral rating scales which are our five-point rating scale on various things like talks excessively or talks a lot, has is restless, uh, has difficulty sitting in his seat, uh, and so forth. Well, that's those would be marked high for ADHD kids, but they also would be marked high for gifted children, particularly if they're educationally misplaced. So then they get referred to the pediatrician, and the poor pediatricians uh, have a limited amount of time to spend with the child. And I'll let Dr. Kusajanikus pick up on this and talk about uh, about the process. But they, they have, what, 15, 30 minutes they, at most to spend with most, a, you, a child? Yeah, a typical appointment is usually about 10 to 15 minutes. And um, a lot of uh, 
primary care physicians are not really compensated for counseling time and you know other time that they can't actually place a diagnosis. So they feel a pressure many times to actually make that diagnosis, sometimes within the first visit. Um, not, granted, not all physicians do that. There are quite a few wonderful physicians out there who wait and and then seeks you know secondary advice and and uh, testing and whatnot but a lot of them are pressured um and it's it's just a matter of the system on how it, it currently works um so with you know you have parents coming in some of them you know say that the schools are insisting or maybe the parents or or maybe that you know the just the situation dictates to them that perhaps we'll give a trial of a stimulant and see what happens. Well, unfortunately, trials of stimulants tend to be a way that you know most kids will show some increased focus on trials of stimulants, and that's really not the you know best approach to treating ADHD. Rather, you know, it's it's more important to really do the thorough evaluation, rule out other conditions that may be causing the symptomatology, rather than going for treatment and diagnosis right away. Um, I often tell people this, you know, it's kind of a simple story of looking at fever in the, as a presenting symptom in an office. Um, it's obvious if you give Tylenol to a fever, the fever will go away, even if it's only temporarily. But we're doing nothing to treat the underlying cause. Um, it's, for ADHD, it's the same way in that we really need to find what the underlying cause of the symptoms are and not ascribe it immediately to attention deficit. Now, granted, there are, you know, kids who definitely would benefit from the use of stimulants and in particularly in combination with behavioral therapy. Um, but there are lots of other conditions, not just giftedness, that can also lead to symptoms that are reflective of what we think is attention deficit. Uh, when we look at the social parameters that you know things that are going on in the world right now, it's it's rather kind of jolting to know that, you know, there are almost three million kids out there who have a parent in prison right now. And the stress of having a parent in prison can sometimes make them more distractible in the classroom. We have almost, you know, two million, maybe even close to two and a two half million, who have a parent who's either in you know, involved in the Iraq wars and the Afghanistan wars right now. So they're they're deployed away from home. That is another stressor. There are probably sixteen million kids uh, in the U.S. that are hungry on a daily basis. And all those other parameters have to be ruled out as well and not just giftedness to find what the real cause of the symptom is so we can treat the child appropriately and support them in the way that they deserve. So um, in a doctor's office in 15 minutes, it's sometimes very difficult to address all those other issues. But it, it's something that needs to be done. Um, we just wish we had a way we can do it <laughs> more appropriately. And in the meantime, this is where parents will have to educate themselves and step yes. forward to raise issues. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. In, in the uh, in education in the schools, for example, I think it's very important for educators and parents, in particular, to be aware of uh, recent initiatives, uh, both at, at the national level. Right now in, in schools, they talk about the, uh, the response to intervention movement. Yes. They talk about uh, common core standards. They're talking about 21st century skills or race to the top. These are all federal initiatives that are really to be commended because they are 
uh, American schools have become aware that we need more rigorous expectations for uh, student performance um, in, in, for the typical learner. Uh, however, the tendency is to think that with these new initiatives, because they are more rigorous, that uh, they are going to take the place of gifted pedagogy or gifted education, and this is not the case. Uh, true, these national uh, movements are increasing, uh, are bringing more rigor to the educational system, but they are not sufficient to meet the needs of our bright youngsters. Gifted kids, they need uh, differentiation in services, in curriculum, and instruction. And um, it's it's really very uh, important for teachers and parents to understand that while this is good for uh, our typical learners, it is not the panacea. It it does not meet the um, the needs of our gifted students, either at an intellectual, academic, or social emotional level. Absolutely, I I think it's so important that you've pointed that out, and um, you know I, when you talked about the initiatives, I know I I saw one being promoted recently. It was an initiative for the arts. I don't remember exactly what the name of it is, and I know Carrie Washington was involved. Um, she's an actress and also um, a, a very very high prominent person who has gone to Washington to fight for the arts, and I think these kinds of initiatives, um, you're right, they're wonderful, but they shouldn't in any way replace um, the fact that the the initiative to get our gifted understood, I think, could be a part and could work together so well and should work together, especially with response to intervention, with Common Core. We have to, again, first understand the, the gifted students and how different they learn. Um, I know Rebecca, my co-author, would certainly, I, I wish she could have been here this evening, because she has a lot to say on that, too, that you know, we've got to understand our gifted children learn differently. Uh, in this, uh, uh, I should also mention there's another another uh, wonderful resource, and, and that's the National Association for Gifted Children, as well as uh, every state uh, organization that is an affiliate of NAGC. They have uh, wonderful uh, material that will be helpful for educators as well as parents. But currently, they're the latest... Uh, uh, legislation that is being considered by Congress is called the Talent Act. Yes. And really this is going to be uh, one of the uh, legislation that if passed and becomes law is really going to support uh, the appropriate training for teachers and the appropriate services for gifted kids. And so I think it's very important, for example, that parents uh, become um visit their legislators and say we need we would like you to support the talent act because that is the only uh legislation that is going to be advocating and providing appropriate services for our kids for our talented kids 
I'm so glad you pointed that out. So that's something, that's one of the things that parents can do to be involved and to help spread this um, this awareness. And that was my question, too, is, you know, it's been our goal since we sort of came over to the to the gifted side when we realized that we've got to share this information on twice exceptionality from disability. You know, what other suggestions do you all have that we can continue to combine the efforts that are going on in disability with the efforts in giftedness? How how can we bring these two sides together? That's that's something Temple Grandin shared with us and continues to that it's so important to share information and resources. One of the quirks of um, various professions I've noticed is they they tend to talk only to their own kind. Right. Psychologists only talk to psychologists, <laughs> pediatricians only to pediatricians, and so forth. You're so right. <laughs> so if you can find a professional, a pediatrician, a psychologist, a family practitioner, nurse practitioner, and the like, who understands, who gets it, who understands about the issues of misdiagnosis and dual diagnosis, ask that professional if he or she would be willing to try to get a workshop or a seminar at their state association meeting or a grand rounds at their hospital or their county um, professional meeting that so often occurs. And usually the response is, of course, I just never thought about it. And there are there are people who know gifted who will come in and help. In Chicago area where Dr. Gallagher is, she would come over and, and be delighted to. Um, Rosina, I'm volunteering you here. Yeah. Or down in Tucson in Arizona, I'd be delighted to. Or up in the Boston area, Dr. Right, Kutujanikas would. I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. And, but there are lots of others. And Sang, if you contacted the Sang office, I'm sure they could find someone who would be willing to go along with a pediatrician or a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner to get a good discussion going on this. Uh, by the way, in this, I, I just realized something we've left out that I think is very important, and that is to make sure that people understand we are not trying to dismiss and explain away true disorders as being only a product of right. giftedness. Uh, and there are, there's a misdiagnosis uh, where sometimes a child who truly has Asperger's disorder is simply dismissed as quirky gifted and the Asperger's component is overlooked. That's an equally egregious misdiagnosis. But so so the issue is 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 complicated, but in terms of reaching out I, that would be the way that I would do, and then also to try to get as many of these brochures and bookmarks out around the country as we possibly can. And also, I'm going to throw in that there's more that we that Sang could do on this Sang Misdiagnosis Initiative if we had some financial support. Right now, uh, Sang has been supporting it uh, totally. And several individuals have ponied up a fair amount of money, members of the SANG board or members of the advisory committee and the like. If we only had ten or 20000 more dollars, we could do so much more in terms of reaching out and making this available. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I'm so glad you pointed out, you know, Dr. Webb, when you when you mentioned what you just started that answer to is really and truly what got me started in the first place. When my son was towards the end of his high school years and I was having, I really was at the end of my rope with the disability issue and being someone who had made it my profession as well as my parents' struggle his whole life, and I realized what was missing was not understanding his giftedness. And and that's the part, and I had said this earlier, such a shame. I felt this burden as well as just awfully sad about what he would miss out on life and what society would miss if his gift was not recognized. And mm-hmm. so that that led me to start looking. And here, um, where I am in our state, in the South, I found some research and I actually contacted this professor at a university who was he was offering a course to teach teachers about giftedness. I read several of his papers. I was highly impressed. And when I had a conversation with him and I had looked at his curriculum vitae and I said, you know, everything you're saying is wonderful, but do you realize you're preaching to your own choir? I said, I, you're, you're published by a gifted publisher. You you just explained everything to the, you know, you've spoken at gifted conferences. We need to get you out in the disability world. And that was sort of the spark for me. And then Rebecca came along in, in her place in teaching and said, as you have pointed out, Dr. Gallagher, that there just aren't any resources for regular teachers. She teaches in a public high school in a regular classroom. But, of course, as time has gone on and we've published the book, uh, Bright Not Broken, they have come after her and sort of pulled her into some of these other committees knowing what what she has, um, her knowledge she has to share. So that's a small scale of what you're saying we have to do on a bigger level, whether it's myself as a parent who comes across an individual like this wonderfully gifted man who, who knew a lot about giftedness but was only talking to those in giftedness. I you prompted me to saying uh, that uh, I really need to mention the wonderful work that uh, Sang has been doing now for, well, since the beginning of time, but uh, by providing the Sang model parent groups for parents. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, those are provided, uh, you know, across the country uh, by uh, people that have been trained to lead such, uh, to facilitate such groups. And certainly um, Dr. Webb was the uh, founder of of, uh, this wonderful model that brings together parents just to discuss their own uh, issues and uh, to support one another by um reading the uh the uh, uh parents guide to gifted children and this is a wonderful way of uh, their sharing their own stories but also learning from one another uh these are not groups that are led by you know professional psychologists or therapists but rather by individuals who um want to support parents in their search and uh um in in the journey of raising their kids and how do can can you explain how do parents find out about these and if they're in their area and how they can get involved or maybe even help facilitate one to come to their area 
Oh, if they attend the uh, conference in Orlando, uh, July 18th through 21st, they can be trained on uh, how to become a facilitator. Um, but also by going into the to the website, we have a page that uh, lists the uh, individuals that have been trained throughout the country, and um, just make contact with them to see if number one they can start their own um, discussion group or they can be trained as facilitators. Uh, certainly parents and educators, uh, uh, people that are really interested in um, promoting an understanding of gifted children, can. Um, th- these are wonderful, wonderful groups. Absolutely. And they and are the- throughout there. They are scattered throughout the country right now. Am I correct? How how many yes. uh, groups are there? Oh gosh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't I even know. know. There are there are literally hundreds yes. throughout oh, the the wonderful. country and yes. and internationally as well. Yes. We found that the concerns of parents uh, transcend um, countries and cultures, and the model works very well in, in other countries, too. But yes, go to uh, www.seandgifted.org, and, and uh, you can find there on the website the where these groups are being held or being planned. And if they simply sign up for the, the SANG newsletter, they would get information about these also. Right. And they can sign up on the website for the newsletter? Yes. Yes, and okay. it's a free newsletter, um, yeah, email newsletter. And and then you mentioned also the same conference that's yeah, coming up. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say, give us it, the details. It, it, give us some highlights. Well, first of all, first of all, I'll give you the highlights. But first of all, the same conference is a very unique conference. It's it's a um, I've heard many parents and and you know other and clinicians and whatnot tell you how it feels. It feels as if you've you've found family you 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 found your tribe um it's it's a very uh powerful experience to be in in this conference with the the speakers and the the people that are there it's it's just it's very joyous it's very exhilarating um and it's the the topics uh, can range from you know any aspect of giftedness we have an entire thread on twice exceptional this year um in which you yourself are on the panel diane so if you are on a panel discussion <laughs> right <laughs> um, dr dr temple grandin is giving the welcome address this year and we have two wonderful keynotes a dr Tara grantham and a dr edward ammond um there will be lots of discussion about aspects of giftedness including anxiety perfectionism and other issues of twice exceptionality as well um, um, the intensities, oh yeah, the overexcitabilities, all, all, all those issues, and it's it's, an, it's just it's a wonderful experience to be around. So what really makes this a- conference really different is so often at conferences the speakers come up, they talk, and but they they're remote. It's hard to get access to them to ask that question. Not so at the same conferences. It's so informal and 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 approachable where people not only talk with each other but can really reach out to the presenters and ask them those questions and engage in in the discussions that you want to. So I hope people will still come. And don't forget, it's a family conference. Absolutely. That that means that (laughs) parents and and kids ages uh, 8 to 18 or 17 17, can come. 
And they will it's, have uh, just engaging experience. Uh, they will, I think on Friday they have activities in the hotel, but on Saturday they, they go out to uh, Epcot Center. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. They will have a wonderful time. It's a full children's program as well. Um, and to get a kind of a sense of what the program's like, if you go to the website, the Sang Gifted website, and go to the Sang um 2013 conference and go to that page at the very bottom of that page is a little video it's a little youtube video that was taken from um, highlights of last year's conference um it it just gives you the flavor of in through little brief interviews through watching some of the children through watching rosina give her one of her keynotes is to just to see what the essence of the conference is the energy level and the the, you know the, the positive aspect of it and it's just it, it'll give people an idea that hey, you know, this this is a place that you know they really will find their tribe. Um, it's it, there's just there's just so much to do there. It really it's is. Well, fun. I would like to add too, as Temple and you mentioned NAGC, uh, the National Association of Gifted Children, that mm-hmm. Temple spoke at last year, and we spoke with her, and she uh, when she I. I think that's where I introduced her to you, uh, Jim. Is that correct? That's right. That's in correct. Temple there. And she was so impressed with not just the resources that you had through Great Potential Press, but I also introduced her to um, a few of the same board members. And she said her her comment was about the organization. She felt it was very practical and yes. very helpful and very relatable. And so yes. when we we asked her um, before the board had asked her to be a keynote, we asked her to do a panel with us, and she was very excited about it. She said, this is exactly what I'm talking about, of getting and bridging and sharing these resources. So I would encourage um, any of our listeners who are part of our disability world who listen to us because they've got a child with autism or Asperger or ADHD. If there are ever, if there has ever been a question for you where you knew, like me as a parent, that your child's gifts were not being understood or not being recognized, this is a place where you're going to find that acceptance, where you're going to find that information to help you and also to recognize, as you pointed out, Dr. Webb, also to recognize that the disability portion is real in a lot of these children. Yes. And so that that information will be there, but um, you are right about it being a a welcoming place in a very helpful, informal, um, but yet very a lot of professional resources as well, just like this misdiagnosis initiative. Well, thank you. We thank you. we will be there, all three of us. Absolutely. And hopefully we will, well, four, including you, Diane. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we look forward to seeing people not only at this conference, but then at next year's conference, too. We have one, Sang has one each year. Uh, there also is a continuing education component to this conference that is strictly for professionals to talk about issues like we're talking about tonight on this show. And I'll be doing one of the uh, continuing education programs. Dr. Amen is doing one on misdiagnosis. And there's a psychiatrist from New York City area who is doing, he and his social worker wife are doing another one on, um, I think, underachievement. 
but I can't remember for sure. But we hope that people will come. We pride ourselves on this conference and making it so relatable and practical and comfortable for people to come to. We even have a thread this year on uh, special topics for medical um, professionals, medical me- mental health professionals specifically. I mean, they're, they're, we recognize that their you know, giftedness doesn't always explain away a lot of these symptoms, that there are indeed perhaps up to 20% or so of gifted kids may in fact have a twice exceptional disability. Um, so we want to lend that support, and these these the the, the speakers are very practical in, you know, in terms of offering advice and help and, and information, and, and that's what parents need. That's what professionals need, um, and that's what we hope that we try to provide for them in the course of the conferences and, and everything else that Zang does. So I, I would also like to add the fact that we have the uh, James T. Webb uh, scholarship for uh, for. Uh, underserved minority uh, children, and uh, we are always, um, unfortunately, we're not as able to uh, make as many awards or offer as many awards as we would like simply because we we are have little funding. And mm-hmm. so one of the issues, if any of the uh, listeners out there uh, is interested in contributing to that, um, we welcome. All you have to do is join uh, www.sanggifted.org, and there is a nice red button there that says donate, and right. you can donate to uh, <laughs> either the, research, the MIG Diagnosis Research Initiative, or you can donate to the conference, or you can donate to the James C. Webb Scholarship. We sound like the National Public Fund. Radio here. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, you have a lot of rich resources to offer that are certainly well worth it. And I know, um, along with myself and uh, Rebecca, who unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight, as several of our listeners know, she's missed a few sessions. She's had health issues with her husband, but... She will be in Orlando as well, though. I spoke with her today, and she had hoped to be on this call, but she said, please let them know um, I'm definitely going to be attending the conference. So um, she'll be speaking on the panel along with and another um, name that I had a difficult time pronouncing, so I'm going to try. I'm, I really do have issues with, with language names, and I keep meeting these wonderful doctors with just very long, complicated names, but it's Dr. Lane Cobbfleisch. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with her, yes. but she's yes. she's done some data. She has some new data that mm-hmm. she's been working on. She'll be presenting brand new data at the conference on our panel. So um, we're just we're thrilled about that, and okay. we're thrilled um, to have you. <laughs> I can't thank you all enough for tonight. You've been so informative. I I believe we probably could talk another two hours if we had the time, but unfortunately <laughs> we're out of time. <laughs> Well, it's a bit of a passion for us, yes, as you it can is. tell. <laughs> Quite a bit, <laughs> absolutely. And well, thank we you share so much. Passion. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yes, thank you so much, Diane. Absolutely, we're just um, we're definitely kindred spirits, and I know, um, really, I think in some way, and I, I actually probably should send him a brochure. This um, this individual that I met several years ago that sparked me to say, we've got to get these two sides talking. Um, <laughs> I'd love for him to see 
um, what what has become of that? That at least you know we've done our work, we've written our book, and we we met you all. And um, if we can continue to help spread that awareness, um, I'm I'm thankful because it it needs to be done. Absolutely. And so many so many groups are now you know working so hard around the world. I mean there there are many groups trying to address these exact topics. And you know, little by little, we're you know, kind of tapping away, tapping away till you know, eventually, you know, we'll we'll get the message out to the world, and that's that's what the goal is. These children need that's to be right. recognized. Everyone, sort of in their own corner of the world, with their yes. own piece of the puzzle, and it's just bringing Absolutely. it all together. Absolutely, it's part of this initiative and part of this uh, this wonderful organization that. I hope to see grow more as as we continue to bring people to it. Um, to see you all have done the groundwork you've with this initiative too is just it's unprecedented. It is um, to bring the medical community much. together. You know, so and we, parents uh, parents are very important because uh, you know it was through their advocacy that ninety four one forty two uh, emerged to be a voice for the uh, special education students. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. so if gifted parents have something to learn, I think uh, they should learn from uh, parents of uh, children who have had uh, special needs. Absolutely. Right. Well, we thank you again, and um, perhaps as this initiative continues to move forward, we'll have to have a repeat show where we can talk about um, all of the wonderful uh, new progress that I know you're going to make. We'll be delighted. Well, thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you all. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.